And then if you have loved ones that you have to take care of, if you have elderly parents or anything, you have to watch out for them, shovel their snow and stuff. And the problem is this, is if you have a bad attitude, you get no reward for it. Okay? So I'm thinking as I'm doing this, mad, I'm thinking, I'm getting nothing for this. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, a passage I would believe you're familiar with. Why don't you stand with me, please, as we honor God's Word. John chapter 1 and verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which shineth, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Heavenly Father, thank you for this portion of your word this morning. As we continue on our Christmas series of messages, I hope that we see just all that takes place in your birth, coming to this world, God coming down to man, and how desperately we needed you then and how desperately we need you today. I pray that there's no one saying no to that wonderful gift that you are offering us that is life-changing, everlasting. Bless this time, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. We have looked at the virgin birth. Roughly 70% of Americans believe in the virgin birth. The virgin birth was required to be a sinless sacrifice. We know that Romans 5.12 teaches us that wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. So death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. If you will, the gene pool had been corrupted by sin. For there to be a perfect sacrifice, there had to be an outside source to come in to be that perfect sacrifice. And obviously the virgin birth accomplished that. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He was that perfect virgin-born, sinless sacrifice that John the Baptist said that he would be. So that was his birth. Another time we looked at his business. I want you to know that your life is God's business. I know some people get real touchy about if someone's trying to interfere. I can remember in grade school, if someone asked about what you were doing, a grade school answer to them was nunya. You want to ask me, nunya. In other words, none of your business. 
And the world is pretty much a nunya crowd, if you will. They don't want you interfering in anything. Don't tell me what I can do, what I can't do, what's right, what's wrong. That's nunya. That's none of your business. Well, I want you to know that God created you. He put you here on purpose for a purpose, lost or saved, a believer or unbeliever. I don't care. God made you, and you are his business. And his business was to be the savior of the world. He came to give his life. Matthew one twenty one says, And he shall be, bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled which is spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child. There's that virgin birth. And shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted, God with us. So his birth... And obviously his business is he needed to be the Savior because we are all sinners. And the wages of sin is death. If you're here this morning and Christ has not paid for the penalty of your sin, you are living in your sin. You are dead in trespasses and sins. The Bible is very clear about this. The world is looking for life, and you can see the world trying to find life and everything that they're doing. And so they, they spend, they live, they try, they get into everything. And as society continues to try and try and try to find life in something, you can see that they were trying more, if you will, despicable things, just trying to feel life. Why? Because they're dead. What they're looking for that they don't know is that they're looking for forgiveness in Jesus Christ and life that only he provides. And if you and I know Christ is our personal Savior, we get to live that life. And it annoys the daylights out of me, and I'm getting sidetracked here a little bit, if you'll forgive me, that sometimes Christians live like they're in misery. Sometimes Christians live like this life is horrible, and, they're, and so they try to mix some of the world in with what Christ has to offer. And I can't believe it. It's surprising to me when you're driving a Cadillac, if you will, and you reach back to try to drive a Pinto. And you think, man, I just want, really? When you've got the best there is, and if you're not living true joy in Jesus Christ, somehow you've put some poison in with the real thing, and it's destroying it. If you'll live a pure, unadulterated life with Jesus Christ, nothing is more satisfying than that. That's where life truly begins. So don't, don't let the world lie to you and tell you that you're missing out on something when you're living for the Lord. Someone might say, I'm not a sinner. Now, I've never met anyone that looked at me straight-faced and say, I've never sinned. I've read about them. I've, I've talked to people that claim they have talked to someone like that. It must be true because the Bible addresses that. In 1 John 1, 8 through 10, it says, if we say we have no sin, so mu- somebody must be saying that because the Bible addresses that. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And I'd find that almost laughable because a lot of times people will try to make themselves out to be better than they are. You and I know they're not. Everybody else knows they're not. The only one they're deceiving is themselves. The only one they're convincing is themselves. Sometimes they, thou, thou dost protest too loudly in some of these things. And the Bible says, obviously, we have, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him, God, a liar, 
and his word is not in us. If you think you've not sinned, you're deceiving yourself and you're calling God a liar. You know, that takes a lot of courage to look at God in the face and say you're a liar. I I don't think I would attempt that, but you go right ahead. Uh, That's not going to work. That's not going to end well for you. His business is to be your savior. So we have his birth, we have his business, and this morning we are focusing on his beginning. While 70% believe in the virgin birth, only half of Americans believe that Jesus existed before his birth in the manger that we celebrate on Christmas Day. Half of America believes that Jesus lived, but they don't believe he lived before he was born in a manger. I was talking to a cult leader years ago. I knew what they believed. I knew what they thought of Jesus Christ. I knew they did not believe he was eternal. So I looked at him and I said, so do you believe in Jesus Christ? Oh, absolutely. Do you believe that he's eternal? And his comeback to me was, well, he has eternal life. That is not the same. You and I have eternal life through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was eternal. He existed before. How do we know that? Well, the Bible speaks clearly about it. In Micah 5, 2, the Bible says, But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me, unto me that is to be the ruler of Israel, whose goings forth have been from old from everlasting. That's Micah 5, 2. Also in Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Micah talks about him being everlasting. Isaiah talks about him being everlasting. In the New Testament, in our text this morning, if you still have it open in John chapter 1 and verse 1, in the beginning was the Word... And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We have His pre-existence and His coexistence right there in John 1.1. In John 1, if you jump from, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Well, who's the Word? Well, John 1 and verse 14 tells us who that is. Look at verse 14, and the Word, mentioned in verse 1, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That's Jesus Christ. So he was in the beginning with God. Now he has made flesh that you and I could see him, and he dwelt among us. He lived, walked, and talked among us, obviously, 2,000 years ago. He came, God himself. John chapter 1 and verse 15, another reference to it. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake, he that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. Well, if you and I remember the record of Jesus' birth, and Elizabeth having John the Baptist, John the Baptist was six months older than, than Jesus was. But John the Baptist is saying he was before me. That makes him older than me. How could that be? Because he existed before his birth. In John chapter 8, Jesus is speaking. And he's talking to the Pharisees. If you want to turn over in John chapter 8. Now, if you think there's some stress in your life, and there is. I'm not downplaying some of the stress that we have going on in our life. I, it snowed last night. I don't know if you knew or not. And... Uh, 
snow in Maine creates a certain amount of work that we don't have through the summer. And I'm, I, I, here's another, this isn't in my notes either, so you can tune out right now if you want to talk amongst yourself, but I just have to, I have to vent a little bit. People say, well, you know, you guys have your winter, we have our summer down here. You have, you know, you have to heat, but we have to air condition down in the south. In the south, do they have to shovel their heat? I want to know that. You know, do they have to snow blow it? Do they have to plow it? How's that work? So in Maine, you have to get ready for winter. You put up your wood. If you heat with wood, you do all those things. Then when the snow comes, you push it here, you push it there. You make sure everybody else is all right, and then you push it over there. And then if there's enough snow, then you have to run in a loader, and that comes in and pushes the banks back even more. And then if you have loved ones that you have to take care of, if you have elderly parents or anything, you have to watch out for them, shovel their snow and stuff. And the problem is this, is if you have a bad attitude, you get no reward for it. Okay, so I'm thinking as I'm doing this, mad, I'm thinking, I'm getting nothing for this. So anyway, stress. That's just, uh, if you remember that, we're talking about stress here. John chapter 8, nobody had stress like Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not kidding. They hated him. Now, I don't know of anyone that hates me. I can't imagine they would. Can you help? You know, what's the hate here? I mean, come on. I'm sure there are people that don't like me, though I'm not sure of that. I've not met them either. But anyway, there are, everybody has relationships that bring a certain amount of stress into their life. That's normal. We live in a sinful world. That's normal. Just love them, care about them, pray for them. But stress is part of life. But Jesus had people that despised him, hated him, plotted to kill him. He ran into him on a regular basis. In John chapter 8, the Pharisees are getting after him. They're talking about their father. In that conversation, they looked at him and said, we be of Abraham's seed. We know where we came from. They looked at Jesus and they are in, insinuating that you don't even know who your father is. Because the virgin birth dogged him his entire life. People didn't believe nobody's born of a virgin. Come on. Obviously, it was a Roman soldier. It was someone. Your mom was a harlot, probably. And I'll tell you what. When we were in grade school and older, if someone said something denigrating about your family, or especially your mother, I'm telling you, the gloves came off, to use a hockey term. We just went for it. Now that there's, they talk about bullying in schools and all those, those things were all settled on the playground when we were younger. Now they don't let kids go at it. Well, you know what? Just sit back every now and then and just let them go at it. They'll get tired out after a while and they'll feel, realize it's not worth it. But whatever, you, you, you don't demigrate the family. You don't do that. Well, he, that's, what the, that's the crowd that was dogging Jesus all the time. And in John chapter 8, in verse 58, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. How Abraham was thousands of years before Christ. And Jesus is saying, before he was, I am. And boy, that really ticked him off, verse 59. Then they took up stones and cast them at him and tried to stone him right there. So obviously, Jesus very clearly points to his authority and everlasting life that he himself had lived, having you and I cannot start a birth date for Jesus Christ. He always has been, and he always will be. He's an eternal God. So, 
God himself came down to earth to do for you what no one else could do. Coming himself showed three things. Number one, it showed his love. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created. Genesis 2.7, and the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Matthew 6.21 teaches us that where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If you've invested in something, I don't care if it's your home, it's your car, it's your family, if you've got blood, sweat, and tears invested into that, you care about that. It's human nature. No one spends their time, their life investing in something and walks away from it and doesn't care about it. It's not possible. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I want you to know that God loves you, and when he created you, he is invested in you. More than you can possibly imagine, more than I am capable of explaining to you how much God cares for you and loves you. And he left his throne in heaven to come down here on earth to do for you what you could not do for yourself because of his love. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. Jeremiah 31.3 says, I have chosen thee with an everlasting love. See, that everlasting word keeps popping up this morning. It's an everlasting God, and an everlasting God has everlasting love for you. When he came himself, when he left heaven to come down here, number one, he showed his love. Number two, he showed his longing. Sin separated us from God. We were estranged. God never wanted us to leave home. Now, I'm looking at some folks here this morning that have raised children the kids have grown and moved away. And, you know, my father always talked about, I can't wait to get you guys old enough to get out of the house. You know, I'm just trying to. And we do. I, I look forward to the day when I can have quality time with Mama, just her and I. You know? But I've had two kids already leave home. They got married, laughed. And I was just celebrating the day that they would be paying their own bills. It's just good news. Okay? But it surprised me of how painful that was for those two kids to leave home. And I was shocked by that. I had looked forward to it. I was celebrating the time they would be gone. I was thinking, hallelujah, there they go. And then I'm thinking, ouch, this hurt. I don't like this. And now, you know, we're still in contact together, thankfully, my boy just lives down the road now, which is great. And my daughter, we get to see from time to time. But that separation that takes place is surprising, even on the best of terms, how there's a certain amount of pain involved. Well, our Heavenly perf Father, who's perfect, sin separated us from Him. And when that took place, he could no longer fellowship with us. That would, Because of sin, we were cut off from him. And it has been his effort ever since Genesis chapter 3 in the garden for him to restore fellowship with us so that we can once again be close. 
And I think you and I can relate to the idea of how wonderful a close relationship is. Can't we have, do you have a, any close re, anybody got a close relationship? How great is that? To have someone that you just enjoy being with, spending time with, you never get tired of. Well, that's what the Lord longs for with us. Let me show you a verse in Mark chapter 3. If you've got your Bibles open, go back with me. Turn back to Mark chapter 3. Jesus is choosing his disciples. And I, just, I read a book recently that pointed this out to me. And, you know, every now and then you, you learn something from God's Word that you'd not seen before. And it's, to me, it's a revelation, which it shouldn't have been. But I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, and you all know that. But Mark chapter 3 and verse 13, And he goeth unto a mountain, and calleth unto him whom he would, and they came unto him. And he ordained twelve that they should be with him. Do you see that? That they should be with him. Say that with me. That they should be with him. You know what the Lord longs for? To be with you. He wants that close relationship. The first calling of you and I, you would say, well, I'm called to preach. Al's called into music. Pastor Sean is called to preach. Mark, we could go weeks. Well, our calling is hard. No, your first calling when you get saved is to be with the Lord. He wants time with you. John chapter 14 is one of the great passages in all the Bible. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there ye may be also. You know what the Lord wants? He wants to be with you. Don't miss that. Did you ever feel neglected? Did you ever feel left out? You know, nowadays, in the old days, of course, I'm old. Remember choosing teams? This guy would over here. You be a captain. You over here. You be a captain. Okay, start choosing. What do we want to do? We wanted to be picked first. We wanted somebody to want us. Now you can't do that anymore because someone's going to have to be last when they get picked. And that poor child is going to feel so left up. Oh, grow up. You know what? Life's not easy at times. And it ain't fair. Somebody's going to be first and someone's going to be last. Not everybody gets a participation trophy. Not how it is. It's not how life is. We're trying to make things all so even and fair. and We're in a sinful, fallen world. It's not going to be even. It's not going to be fair until Jesus comes and fixes it. But until then, deal with that. So, here we are. We're choosing teams. And we all know the experience of wanting to be wanted. Isn't that true? Why is it that guys, when we're teenagers, and we want to date, and we want to go out, and we see a girl, but we're petrified to ask? Why is that? Because we're afraid we won't want to be wanted. Couples get married and are afraid the love will stop and they live in fear that does she love me as much as I love her and is, is the relationship going well? And, and so some people struggle with those things. Why? Because they're afraid they're not wanted. Well, let me tell you something. I got good news. God Almighty Himself has done everything He possibly can so that you can be with him because he wants to be with you 
as the captain, he's choosing you first. You don't come in last. He wants you. And I can't emphasize this enough, is how great it is to want to be wanted. His longing for you. He loves you. He longs for you. And lastly, his limitless effort to restore the full measure of hope for the future. He didn't create someone to be the perfect sacrifice. Did you hear me? He did not create someone to be the perfect sacrifice. He was the perfect sacrifice. He didn't send someone to pay for the penalty of sin. He came himself to be the penalty for sin. He did for you what you could not do. Don't you see how hard God is trying to bring you to himself? And if you know him already, if you've trusted him as your savior, then let me tell you something. You need to be enjoying the fellowship of spending time and getting to know him every day. Think about the fact that God has saved you, he sent his son to die for you, and that you get to have a personal relationship with him. You are never alone. I was reading an article this week about, uh, you, you, we've joked about it, I've mentioned it before. It wasn't long ago that the lottery, one of the lotteries was over a billion dollars. The chance of you winning the lottery is less than getting struck by lightning like three times. It's just, you, you, you're, you're not going to win. Don't bother, you're not going to win. Don't take God's money and put it into, don't do it. But, so they interviewed one of the authorities that was handling the lottery and said, why is it? And I will admit... I'm, you guys know me. I try to live as transparent. I will admit, when it gets over a billion dollars, well, maybe I'll throw in a buck. I don't even know what it costs to do it. You know, maybe I'll buy a ticket. But anyway, having said that, confession's good for the soul, okay? They asked one of the lottery people, why is it that people buy a ticket? Why do they do that? His answer, when times are tough, they're looking for something that offers hope that was from a lottery official and how that breaks my heart I don't know about you but I'll tell you what I know someone that offers hope and your odds aren't a billion to one that you could have it your odds are one to one all you have to do is ask and Jesus Christ offers hope eternal life fellowship, time spent with him, restoration, sin is taken care of, fellowship is restored, and joy is experienced. Let me tell you something. Your business is God's business. I would encourage you to take your business, hand it over to God, and let him handle it. And you will experience a joy and a life that no one, has to offer. Heavenly Father.